Hi, I'm Brian Grant, and you're listening to On Time, the Brian Grant Foundation podcast about living with Parkinson's. If you want to know more about Brian Grant Foundation, go to briangrant.org. This podcast series is presented by AbbVie. Welcome to On Time, a Parkinson's podcast live stream event. I'm Amy LaValle, the moderator of the Facebook group for the podcast. Like Brian, I was diagnosed with young onset Parkinson's disease in my 30s. I'm a mother to three boys and an active member of the Brian Grant Foundation. Hopefully you've all had a chance to listen to On Time. All four episodes are available at briangrant.org slash podcast, as well as on all the major streaming services. We also have a Facebook group where we talk about the issues that are discussed in the podcast. Hello to all of our Facebook friends who are joining us tonight. If you'd like to join the group, you can find the link at briangrant.org slash podcast. Thank you to everyone who submitted a question for tonight's program. You can still submit questions through the chat function, and we'll do our best to get to them this evening. I'm joined in the studio tonight with Brian Grant, our co-host Heather Kennedy, and special guests Amber Husford and Kevin Kwok will be joining us tonight to answer your questions. But let's start with a couple of questions for Brian that came to us from our friends at Russellville Park and Infinity Rehab. The first question is, Brian, what is your why? Can you tell us a story behind your foundation? Yeah, um, you know, when I was diagnosed, like most of us, it was a shocker. Um, didn't know really what to do than to have a pity party for a couple years. But once I got over that, you know, I was watching Michael J. Fox, uh, Muhammad Ali, and the, the work that they were doing in the community. And I knew I had a platform, so I definitely wanted to join the fight against Parkinson's. When you look back, were there signs or symptoms that you, you dismissed but were related to your diagnosis? There definitely were symptoms. Um, I was joking with somebody the other day, and I told them, man, my last two years in the league, that was all Parkinson's. I, it, it wasn't my age, but you know what? My knees were gone. Everything was pretty shot by the time I got to my last two years. But I noticed I couldn't jump off my left leg. Uh, I started feeling a bit uncoordinated. And then the depression, that, that was the thing that really did it. How did you explain it at the time? I really couldn't because, like I said before, I I, I kind of thought it was um, just getting old, older, being older, playing in a young NBA. But, um, you know, little skin twitches, not being able to jump off the left, left leg, those things mm-hmm. answered it. Brian was joined by co-host Heather Kennedy for the podcast. Heather was diagnosed with young onset Parkinson's in 2011 and is the founder of Kathleen Kiddo, an advocacy site offering resources and connection through social media. Let's welcome Heather. Hi, Heather. Are you there? (laughs) Hello, Heather. Where are you joining us from tonight? Good to see you. Where are you joining us from tonight? The East Bay near Oakland, California. Well, thank you for joining us. We have a few questions for you and Brian. One of our listeners had this to say. Listening to the podcasts are so helpful and relatable. I know I feel a sense of validation knowing I'm not a parky freak by hearing other stories that echo mine. 
My question for you is, is it therapeutic for you both to share as well? I'll let you start. The reason I started this Kathleen Kiddo and writing and all the things about Parkinson's was not because I thought I was the only person suffering, but because when I wrote and put it online, I got a lot of writing back. People saying, well, it was the equivalent of the message in a bottle. I couldn't believe how many people could relate. And I felt less alone. So yeah, it was sort of a symbiotic, mutually beneficial relationship that we've had with the entire community. And we're all together in this. Yeah. And for me, it was, uh, it was tough. It took some time um, before I really got relief from things. And that really started happening when I meet other people with Parkinson's and started talking to them. And I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I felt like a, a release when I told people that I wasn't hiding anything more. And it was a release that it's just I could be open about it. Absolutely. Another question that came in is, I'm grieving the loss of the person I used to be. How do you deal with this, Heather? I'm furious. It fuels my workouts. I compete with myself. I used to teach dance, specifically hip hop. I used to um, go out and try to do karaoke. I wouldn't do those things as much now. I might do the robot. And it's kind of frustrating to think about how much we've lost. It's a constant stream of loss with a degenerative condition. And yet, the way that we have been humbled and we can now slow down enough to see that everybody hurts from something is invaluable. It's like going to a meditation retreat for the rest of your life. You have to stay present and in your body. You have to be here now to be able to be in service. So it's like, I'm angry. And yet I'm happy because I have a purpose of writing and helping and I get to hang out with Brian. I mean, how can I be angry, that angry, you know, <laughs> and Kevin and Amber. So do you want to answer that? Yeah. You know, first of all, I can tell you that's a true, true statement because Heather came to my 50th and she was doing a robot all over the place. It was fun. <laughs> we had a great time, but uh, I definitely grieved the person that I used to be. And whether I had Parkinson's or not, I think I, that was going to happen to me just because I played basketball all my life. And when it came to an end, it came to an end. But um, not being able to be in control of my body is uh, something that keeps me grieving it. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think I, um, I grieved who I'm not going to be, who I thought I was going to be, what my future was going to be. Um, that's what I grieve. Well, Heather, what you were saying was make, it makes a good segue into our next question is, do you find that any good has come from your disease? Do you want to elaborate on what you were just saying? I've always been resentful of the, the phrase, you know, the silver lining or you look for the good in everything or just be happy. You know, that toxic positivity. So I don't want to sound like a Pollyanna here, but I feel like the ego gets crushed. People with Parkinson's are really quite beautiful in that they are humbled and more present. I've learned so much from this disease. It just is. I can fight with it and go kicking and screaming, or I can accept life 
as it is right now. And it's constantly changing state and just go with it. So it's, it's made me a kinder person because it slowed me down. So that's, that's probably the best part of this. And I get to meet people all over the world. I have a new family. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Brian, mm. what good has come from your disease? I like to think that I've always been humble, but there was definitely another level of humility that came out. Um, and as Heather just said, just the people that you meet along the way. I mean, I've got very good friends who have Parkinson's, and I know there's a community of people out there that I can always reach out to, and they know they can reach out to me. And that's been a big positive. Yeah. Yeah. Let's also check to see if any questions have come in through our chat. <laughs> but while, while we are checking through that, I'll say um, good that's come from my experience with the disease is just learning more patience, yeah. is um, you know, recognizing that other people may have hidden indivisible diseases too, and we don't know what they're going through and to have patience for everybody in life. Um, that's something that I've, I've embraced. Yeah. It's not really a question, I've but I've noticed. I'm just going to add that I've noticed that when we tell people we have Parkinson's, they share their pain with us too. And there's something kind of nice about the way that we can all be together in that moment. Thank you. It is great. And like you said, building those friendships and those connections and being able to share your story and experience and build within that community helps us all. Um, so a comment that's come in from our chat room says, it's not really a question, but wanted to say that I listened to the lifestyle episode and it was exactly the message I needed to hear today. How does that make you two feel? Uh, it makes me feel like we're doing something that's truly helping people in the Parkinson's community. Um, it's, it's been an honor to work with Heather and working with you tonight. But, you know, sitting in front of the cameras, getting real, this... You know, my meds aren't working as much, as well as they used to, but this is what we do to to find those other people out there who are going through the same exact thing. I thought you were just excited to meet me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of cool to see the feedback be so positive. When we we thought we were just having a conversation, and Katrina and everybody made it really nice for us. Uh, Katrina of the Brian Grant Foundation made it really nice for us to have a conversation that was not just open, but available to all because there's something in there to relate to for everyone, whether you have Parkinson's or not. Yeah. In the last podcast episode, Brian and Heather are joined by Amber and Kevin to talk about the diversity in the Parkinson's community. Amber was diagnosed with early onset Parkinson's disease in 2018. Amber is an advocate for people with Parkinson's. She uses dark humor and sarcasm to increase awareness of living through young onset Parkinson's by her wildly followed TikTok page at Not The Fake Amber. She is a boy mom with two sons who live in El Paso, Texas, an avid lifelong wannabe athlete. Kevin was diagnosed with Parkinson's in his late 40s. He has taken control of his Parkinson's with bold irreverence, optimism, and biting humor. As a self-proclaimed amateur PD satirist, he has been a speaker and patient advocate for several foundations and has been featured on national news, programs, and webcasts. 
We're delighted to be joined tonight by, with Amber and Kevin tonight. Well, a welcome, Amber and Kevin. Where are you joining us from tonight? I am in El Paso, Texas. Kevin? Sorry about that. Uh, I'm calling in from Boulder, Colorado. Oh, wonderful places. Well, thank you for joining us. A question for you. What is something that is commonly misunderstood about Parkinson's that allies should know so they can do a better job supporting? Um, I think that Brian talked about this in one of the episodes, but uh, people often think that people die from Parkinson's. And I think I spend majority of my time saying no. You die with it, not of it. But I think that's the biggest misconception. Kevin, what do you, what do you think uh, allies could do to support us better? So for me, the biggest issue with Parkinson's isn't the stiffness or the rigidity, uh, but it's the things that you can't see. And those are the things that I'd like uh, to sort of clarify. Just because you say everything, or just because you don't hear anything's bad with us or troubling us, doesn't mean everything's okay. Heather, I'd like to ask you the same thing. What do you think that par allies could do to show us more support? This is an extremely unpredictable condition. So if our allies could be flexible with us, that would be such uh, a huge favor. For example, if someone says, what are you doing next Tuesday at three o'clock? I'm like, I don't know. Let me ask my body next Tuesday at three o'clock. But if you could give me a window of time to get to you between say three and three 30, so that, or whatever, so that I'm not late or making you wait, that'd be great. It is the, it is what doesn't show. I'm going to echo Amber and Kevin here and to say that the anxiety and the other horsemen of our apocalypse would be depression, which tries to get us alone and take us down. So I believe those things can, uh, can, hurt a lot of people. And we just need to pay attention to the fact that half of this at least is mental. The other stuff we can handle. A question I'd like to ask Amber and Kevin is about grieving who you used to be. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're experiencing and how you're dealing with that? Kevin, why don't you begin? Yeah, you know, um, I've, had, I've told this story before, but I used to teach martial arts. And my sensei's used to tell me, that in order to gain control, you have to first be willing to lose control. And when they told me that in my 20s, I had no idea what that meant. But what I'm finding out is that actually the loss of control to gain control is the ultimate acceptance. Uh, it sort of guided my, my, my path of my Parkinson's life, and it's worked very well for me. But it's not always easy to practice. Amber, would you like to share? I actually completely agree with you. I think rather than grieving what I used to be, because um, there really hasn't been that much of a change in my lifestyle, aside from like little things that I see slipping and like memory loss and uh, the ability to do some things, but rather grieving the future, um, being able to plan ahead um, who knows what it's going to be like, you know, because it's different for all of us. I have no idea what to expect. Yeah. And I think it's difficult when you see our counterparts, our friends of similar ages and the paths they're taking and knowing that ours is just going to be completely deviated and different than that and what we had planned on. All right. We have another question. 
from our friend Linda Egan, Program Coordinator at Northwestern University Lake Forest Hospital. She asks, what is the best thing we can do to support you and other people with Parkinson's? What would that support look like? Kevin, why don't you begin? Uh, I think it's patience. Really understanding that um, we go to bed with Parkinson's and we wake up with Parkinson's and we live with it all day long. And we know that our friends and family members and our employers, they sort of after a while become weary of all of our uh, issues with Parkinson's. And we just ask you that know that we're in a marathon. We're not a... You know, we're not in, we, we don't have a disease that one day we're going to wake up and we say we feel better on there. There's just other degrees of, of either worse or tolerability. And we, I just ask my loved ones to appreciate that. I, that would go a long way for me personally. Amber, what kind of support would you look for? To me, I think that, um, I think the biggest thing is if somebody were, to research it themselves. Um, I'm already like struggling going through it to begin with. So if somebody would research and see like, oh, I understand what you're going through or I read about that. I know what you're experiencing. Um, rather than me having to explain every time something's coming up, like, because it's not just the tremors, it's the rigidity or the dystonia or the dyskinesia. And for somebody to already understand and know what that is without me having to explain on top of having to go through it on a daily basis, I think that's the biggest thing to me. Heather, can you tell, tell me what you would look for in support? What is this thing you talk of? Patience. <laughs> oh, I have no idea what you're talking about, Kevin. Um, I haven't been very patient with my friends, but my friends sure have been patient with me. I am one of the luckiest most blessed, most whatever you want to call it. Just, well, I'm, I'm so grateful. My friends and family have been amazing, especially my friends who are nearby and who literally picked me up off the floor, helped me bring in groceries, run errands for me, come over and cleaned my house, helped me out during surgeries. I have um, an amazing community of friends all over the world. And they always say, what can I do for you in the moment? Or, hey, how are you today? Simple as that, you know, it's nothing special. And again, I don't think that I'm special because of Parkinson's. In fact, what I'm struggling with is how Parkinson's is like a werewolf that bites everybody around me. So I'm trying to manage my own chronic pain in that way. That's what I'd like to focus a little bit more on because um, it does, it causes trouble for family. Brian, what kind of support would you look for? Uh, I'm gonna echo the word patience. Because it's hard sometimes, especially as you start to progress more, and I'm going through that right now. You know, it's hard for others to have patience for me because a lot of the people close to me know that I don't like to ask for help. You know, being an athlete, I always felt like I could conquer and do what needed to be done. But now I'm in a situation where I'm going to need help. You got five guys on the court. It takes five guys to get that win. It takes a community of Parkinson's patients, family members, friends, to, to be able to get through this disease each and every day. Well, the next question is one I really am excited to hear your guys' answers because I need the tips. We're talking about fatigue. How do you deal with fatigue? Amber, tell me what you do. 
I don't think, I think you just pushed through. Um, I can't even say I work full time. I'm a single mom. You just have to do it. <laughs> I don't have any tips or tricks. Uh, I wish I did. Um, so if anybody else has insight into this, I would love to hear it. All right. Kevin looks like he's got the answer. What's your Intravenous secret? Intravenous caffeine. <laughs> I have coffee around the clock. Well, one of the things that I've really learned to appreciate and respect is what the value of good, a good night's sleep is. And uh, I used to be the kind of person that would stay up all night long in college and go to class in the morning and just be fine. I'd be at the bar in the afternoons and life was good. I, I could operate on three, four hours of sleep. Today, I really push for more better quality sleep. And it's not easy, but I think it's just so under, so important and so underappreciated. Again, what is this thing called sleep? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it's hard to turn your brain off. You know, you get in bed and you're like, remember that thing I did in third grade? Maybe I should say sorry for that. You know, remember like, all the things you've forgotten through the day? <laughs> yes, exactly. We all have these active minds, but our bodies, it is the equivalent of that sleep paralysis. If anyone's ever experienced that, or maybe runner's rigor mortis, your brain is still fully engaged, but your body's like, nope, no more done. Then. So I would say, um, Batique, I can fall asleep doing anything. And I do mean anything. And that can be taken quite personally. Um, but I think what happens is we don't stay under. So we're not getting that real rest. Uh, I have to, for me to stay awake, I have to look for something to really look forward to like this. You know, some fun times with friends or some an engaging meal or a really exciting film. You know, some new music, maybe even a little walk or a workout. Yeah, I have to look forward to, to something to really be excited about it, like something special. And every day has that. It's everywhere. How do you battle fatigue? I'm going to go with coffee, too. <laughs> I'm going to buy stock in Starbucks, I tell you. I drink it so much. But, um, you know, the coffee helps, but it, it's not always going to give me the result that I want. Um, trying to get a good night's sleep always helps with me. I've been through, you know, three or four weeks of insomnia before, and it's just, it's it's hell because... You don't get any sleep. You're like a zombie and you're frozen. But for the past year and a half, I've had some really good sleep and my dreams are so vivid that a lot of times I wake up and think that I'm in the dream still. So <laughs> I have that same experience. I My tricks with fatigue is I almost categorize it as different as being tired. It's just that bone dense exhaustion. Um, I need that daily nap, that power nap. I've, I turn on unashamedly the Nintendo, the TV, say, kids, entertain yourself. Mama needs her nap. Um, and then green tea. But those are, are my tricks just to get through the day. But I just wish we weren't so fatigued. Yeah. All right. We had some more questions come in through the chat. Keep bringing them in, you guys. But since being diagnosed what was the most troublesome course correction that you've had to make in your day-to-day -day lives? And I see Heather's eyes rolling. She's chomping at the bit. Heather, why don't you start us off? 
Admitting that I am disabled has been extremely difficult for me. I try to take on everything. I say, yeah, sure, I can handle that. Yeah, sure, I'll do that for you. Yeah, sure, I'll show up at this time and that time. And then I realize I can't even do half of the things I used to do because I'm moving so slowly. If you've ever seen the Carol Burnett show, and this is for you older folks, I'm kind of like moving at the speed of Tim Conway, the slow fall down the stairs. <laughs> so if I say I'm going to meet you in a few minutes, just remember that's probably like, 30 minutes to get my shoes on alone, <laughs> poking myself in the eye with the mascara. You know, I just can't, I just can't get moving. So, you know, um, it's been a, it's been a challenge to admit that I can only do one, maybe two things a day. That's it. That's all I got. Amber, what sort of course correction do you struggle with? I think right now the apathy, the, not caring about the things that I used to care about or caring about them the same way um, or having the motivation to do the five things that you try to plan and can only do two of. Um, I don't even really want to do that. Um, I think that that's the biggest struggle I'm having right now. You know, you, at my age, I should be wanting to go out with friends and do fun things, but I have zero motivation to do it. Yeah, I can empathize with that. I can totally relate that apathy and just not wanting to participate in anything. And it kind of, I then get the guilt that comes in because it's like, oh, my child's play. I don't really want to go. But then you have the parental <laughs> guilt of, you know, I should go. I should want to enjoy it. And you have that battle of trying to, uh, you know, figure out actually enjoying that time and, fight and battling that apathy. Kevin, what has been your uh, troublesome course correction? This is a more recent issue for me, but uh, until this last year, I was still working and, and making a living and enjoying work. Uh, but in a corporate restructuring, I was let go. And unfortunately, coming to grips with that has been really challenging for me because for me, I've worked every day of my life since high school uh, and not being able to work was really a blow for me to my self-worth. And so the course correction for me is understanding that there's a reason that happened. There's a reason now that I can focus on my health every day instead of, you know, making that 7.30 a.m. breakfast meeting uh, or that Zoom call. Um, but it hasn't been easy, and I still ruminate about the days of work all the time. And it's something that I'm working on very hard to try to get over. Brian, what about you? <laughs> Course correction for me would be realizing there's things that were always easy aren't so easy anymore. And I talked about it in a podcast. You know, I'm moving, and I'm having a urinal built in my bathroom because I'm a tremor person and, you know, never in my wildest dreams that I think I was gonna have trouble going to the bathroom, but I do. I mean, it's all over the walls, floor, everywhere. So I get tired of wiping it up, but um, yeah, just things like that. Things with other symptoms that pop up, um, just trying to figure out a way to get through it. Yeah, a another course correction I'd say I have is, reestablishing or, or recategorizing my goals for the day, the, um, recognizing that 
What I used to do 10 years ago is not going to happen today. I have my list. I make the top two and just realizing that that's a win if I get those done. And that's, that's something hard for this age, but it's a, I'm a work in progress. <laughs> All right. Another question we had just come in is, in my pre-PD life, I worked in a professional field, always dressed up and glammed out. I still do this, but I opt for comfy clothes, etc. I've had people approach me that don't know I have PD. They ask me what happened. That will throw me into a depression. Who's experienced this? Um, Kevin, why don't you, you start? Oh, yeah. I tell everyone now that all the clothes that I wear, I buy at REI. There's no such thing as elegant clothes anymore. And I used to be someone of a clothes hound. Um, there are a couple of things that, that on, the, on, on the clothing side, I never wear white clothes anymore because I'm always spilling stuff on myself, either spilling coffee or eating with messy, you know, habits. So that, that's one of the other things. But there's also a good side to, to living a life where you just are relaxed. Uh, so in, in a way, uh, I'm trying to turn this situation of uh, enjoying clothes to now enjoying comfort. Oh, I'm right there with you. I think this is the first time I've worn jeans in three years. And the only reason is because a lot of people can see me. <laughs> I'm like, when I got this, I was like, I just want to be comfy. And I know, Brian, you agree, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you want me to go? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, you're going to see me in sweats more than jeans. This is like a special occasion. That's why I got the jeans out today. But, uh, you know... I definitely like being comfortable and there are, are so many things that we have to do and go to don't have to, but we do uh, like other galas and, and events. And if I could wear a tracksuit to that, I would definitely wear a tracksuit to that, but just trying to make that transition from wearing a tracksuit to going, wearing a suit to go to a gala. I'm getting twisted up over there. <laughs> Well, and I think too. Not, with, tying a bow tie on a tuxedo, forget it. When when you have Parkinson's, <laughs> it doesn't work. Well, I think too. I kind of put on the air of um, I'm pulling out the Parky card, and those people may not know I have Parkinson's, but in my head I do, and I'm just like, I kind of um, say, it's just to you, I have Parkinson's, and I feel great, and I look great to me, and. I brush off their opinions, so I try not to let people, the outside people in and bother me anymore. Um, Heather, how do you, have you experienced this? Yes, I'm really into adaptive situations, adaptive clothing, adaptive shoes, like, you know, the Kizik's that we tried on the other day. And I've kept my hair short just because it's easy. I can just kind of wake up, put some product in and kind of do this instead of the long hair that I used to have that was taking so long and I would get it highlighted and everything. Forget about it. I mean, you can be vain and have Parkinson's. Sure. I mean, come on, but you cannot worry too much about how you appear to others. So I would say that when someone tells me, oh, you look so tired or what happened to you? I'll be like, I know, right? You should see the other guy. <laughs> that's, I mean, what are you going to do? You know, like, and we age too. And, and that's okay. I'm looking forward to my face turning into crepe paper. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> And Amber, with your gorgeous hair, how do you, have you experienced this? Or? 
Um, I mean, there's things that I miss. I miss wearing heels, which you can't do when you can't balance or you have trouble walking or you shuffle. Um, I do right now refuse to not do my makeup uh, because I'm trying to hold on to that dearly. Um, and I do miss pulling up my hair. So this isn't my hair. This is wigs for after brain surgery. I miss pulling up my hair. But looking good. You are looking great. Brian, does Parkinson's ever make you daydream or your mind wander? Uh, I feel bad blaming it on Parkinson's, but it does because I've always been a daydreamer and a wanderer. You know, it's meetings, things like that. I can get focused in on anything other than what I'm supposed to be focused in on. So uh, since being diagnosed with Parkinson's, uh, I've definitely seen, seen an increase in that. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Amber? Have you experienced any daydreaming or mind wandering? I was going to say the same thing as Brian. I didn't know that that was Parkinson's. I thought that was just me. Um, I have a real hard time focusing on anything, though. And I, I forget everything. So if I'm having a conversation, if I'm interrupted, it's gone. So I daydream a lot. <laughs> I didn't think it was Parkinson's, though. So I can't blame it. I especially find that my level of fatigue um, affects that. The more tired I am, if somebody's talking at me, I have zoned out. I don't know what you're saying, and I've forgotten all words coming out of my mouth. Um, what about you, Kevin? I'm sorry. What was that? I wasn't listening or thinking what you were saying. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for, <laughs> for proving our point. No. You know, the point where I, I've also been a frequent daydreamer, I, I think for me, the thing that really started to alarm me was certain medications that I was taking was making it worse than just daydreaming. I was just fixated and ruminating on things and couldn't get my mind off that. And that to me is a very dangerous state to come from. So I, I, I think there are degrees of daydreaming an obsession, and you got to be careful that it doesn't turn into that obsession. Heather, do you want to expand and talk about maybe the tips you use when your mind wanders? How do you focus and bring it back? I don't focus at all. <laughs> in fact, I, I tend to go with the flow of whatever is right in front of me and whoever is right in front of me. They're going to get my absolute attention, and my attention is about the length of maybe like a goldfish just keeps swimming. Who are you again? <laughs> you know, and I don't mean to joke about memory loss because that's a very real thing, but it is true that I do not uh, remember things as much and I let go of things a lot easier that way. So go figure. I would say the tip that I would have is this. Everyone talks about mindfulness and meditation, like it's some high end thing. It's really just stopping, breathing, pausing and just watching the mind on a screen go by. There you are thinking oh, wow, there I am tripping about the future. There I am ruminating on the past and breathe into that for a little while. That helps me tremendously to sort of get refocused. I do it several times a day. You don't have to make a big deal. You don't have to have like an ashram or something. You know, it can just be sitting quietly on a chair and breathing and you can close your eyes even. And just resets. You know, it's like Anne, Anne Lamott famously said, everything works if you turn it off for a while, including you. So just kind of take some deep breaths. That's what helps me. Amber, how do you deal with your apathy? Do you have any tips? No, I need tips. 
Um, I think, you know, once I get out there and I do whatever it is, so say like you were saying a kid's uh, performance or whatever, I enjoy myself. So if I go out with my friends, I have a good time. Or if I'm doing something uh, with coworkers, I enjoy myself. It's just a matter of just, you have to do it. Just get up. You have to do it. And then I usually have a really good time. So I think that's the only thing. Just push yourself to do it. Brian, do you have any tips for your apathy? No, not really. Yeah. You know, I I think Amber kind of hit the nail on the head for me. You know, got to just get up and do it. Mm-hmm. You know, if I don't, then I'm just going to slide back into whatever I was into. I think that's one of the biggest hurdles um, I wish our allies would understand too, bringing it back to one of the earlier questions is what we wish our allies knew and how to support us is that that apathy, it's a real thing. It's a very huge, you know, burden to overcome, to know that you want to, but you just can't and you, you want to want to. Um, things that I've found helpful for me is, you know, again, list. I write down so many lists. I have so many notebooks tucked in different areas of the house and kind of just initiating like, okay, step one, get dressed. Step two, brush my teeth. But that helps me to initiate my motion for the day. Um, and then something that makes me excited, you know, big earrings, bright lipstick. It gives me that little boost of feeling better, even if it's, um, I'm doing dishes. I'll put on my wedding tiara and pretend I'm Cinderella. But that helps get over that apathy because it makes it a little more fun for me. So we are going to go back and talk about some of the symptoms and signs that you dismissed when you were diagnosed. I asked Brian, but I want to come back and ask you guys. When you were first going through your diagnosis process and you look back on your pre-PD life, what signs and symptoms did you have that you're now going, ah? I know what that was. Um, Heather, why don't you start? Yeah. Well, it's funny. Kevin and I just talked about the pre-Parkinson's personality changes. And one of those things that I noticed is I became less patient, more impulsive. I kind of I kind of stepped out of my of who my normal range of comfort was much more often. And I did some things that I believe now, looking back, were probably hurtful to other people because the body knew that things were changing and those boats weren't docking in the neurology area. So I think probably I became a little wild. And when I tried to pick up my violin to play, I vibrato has a certain look to it and I couldn't move my hand. And I thought it was because I had been fighting in the, in the UFC, not in the cage or anything like that, but <laughs> we were doing some sparring. I thought I, had, thought I had a neck injury. So I just ignored it, ignored it for years. And the doctors kept giving me, you know, medications for my mood. Like you hysterical woman, you must be, must be in your head. Turns out it was in my head, but we did ignore a lot of signs. The stooping, my neck started to hurt, you know, and leaning forward, my posture was off. And I was just really depressed for years before I got help. I mean, the people that were around me, God bless them. If they're still my friends, boy, did they earn that space in my life. So yeah, we do tend to ignore things. Kevin, what signs and symptoms did you dismiss? Well, now again, I'll break it out into the motor symptoms, and then I'll also talk a little bit about the non-motor symptoms. I think for me, the the motor symptoms are always, as someone who's always been very physical in my life, 
I thought I could work through them, right? I thought, oh, I'm just not working out enough or uh, I just have to spend more time in the gym and I'll get through it. So that was sort of my dismissive sign on those things. But I mean, I used to send people ahead of time uh, to meals so I didn't have to walk with them on the streets to the restaurant because I would do a lot of avoidance games. But getting back to what Heather was saying, I think if I really reflect back on the past, uh, it was some of the behaviors. You know, dopamine is a pleasure-seeking hormone. And when when you start losing that, you start doing things to grasp onto it. And so I think that was some of my behaviors that were very hurtful to other people were based on that grasping, you know, for one last thrill or one last go at it. And I really regret those. Amber, would you like to share? Um, I mean, my major symptom was the tremor. And so initially my dad had to push me to go because I was like, maybe it is anxiety or maybe I just had too much coffee because I can't drink coffee. It makes my tremor so much worse. Um, but also I remember when my son was little, he would tell me that they were not scratch flops. They were flip flops because I would drag my feet. So that was probably something that I ignored. And that was probably something related. Yeah. Mine was, I was pregnant with my third son and, um, I was starting to get the tremors and twitches in my toes, but I explained I was pregnant, you know, baby sitting on a nerve. That's what's going on with my body. But afterwards it was the extreme anxiety. I knew something wasn't right. I was always a pretty active person. Go out, any adventure, take it on. I'll bring it on. I can do it. And all of a sudden, I could. I was in a ball in my kitchen crying because I couldn't make dinner. Um, and I knew something wasn't right. What is a... How are you afraid of your disease progressing, Brian? You know, I have definitely have fear of where I'm going to be at in the future with this disease because I've met so many people in different stages in their life. Um, we're all different, but we all end up dealing with it kind of the same way. Um, yeah, but it's, I'm sorry. It's like anything else. I mean, I could be afraid and worry about it, but it's going, it's going to do what it's going to do. So long as we are out here doing what we need to do, whether it's exercise, nutrition, Learning more about this disease, the drug, the drugs yeah. that help us. Then, for me, I think that'll push some of the fear to the side. Yeah, you don't want to waste your good time, your present time, on fear. No. But for our panel right now, what is something? I don't know if I necessarily like the fear, but what is something that does give you anxiety about this progression of this disease? I mean, let's be real. We all worry about it. Um, Kevin, why don't you start? Yeah, my neurologist asked me this. And all of us, I think, uh, or at least I know several of us on this panel have all been divorced. And I told my neurologist, uh, she was one of the first people I mentioned to that I was uh, going through a divorce. Her comment, she asked me the same question. What do you fear? And so what I said here is I fear the unknown and the fear of growing old alone. And what was her response was laughter, which just cracked me up because she said, Kevin, knowing you over these several years, 
You're the last person I can ever imagine in the world being alone. Uh, and so if you fast forward several years from the divorce, I now have a wonderful girlfriend who's so supportive. I feel very lucky in my life. Uh, so that fear played itself out even in a better way for me in some respects. Amber, is there anything that you fear about the future? I was going to say, I've been single for 10 years and I didn't even think of that. That's like off the plate for me. Um, to me, it's the fear of the unknown, not knowing how to plan. I mean, are you going to get to enjoy any sort of retirement? Uh, what's it going to be like with my kids when they have kids? Am I going to be able to help them in any way or be involved? I mean, yeah, there's so much. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I've got a lot of fears and, again, this, this guilt of, um, you know, me, will I be able to go back to work? Am I going to work? What can I do? And that puts a lot of pressure on my husband. And then my kids, how do I, we're still paying off our college loans, so how do I do that? If I haven't worked, how do I get disability? It's all of these practical financial life, you know, concerns I have, and that's a fear for the future and how are we gonna pay for our kids' college? Um, and then something a little more vain that I experience is, I like my smile, I like my dimple, and I'm really scared to see that go because I feel like it's so much of my spirit and you know who I am. Um, and I just, uh, you know, if that face starts freezing, I just feel like there goes my personality. That's something I, I fear. Um, Heather, what about you? Yeah. Just to add on to what you just said, um, I would definitely say it prevents us from being able to communicate with the outside world and being isolated is a feature of this disease that is actually the killer, the, the real one that takes us down. Isolation is brutal. So many studies have been done about staying connected. My fear is that I'll become a burden. Um, a few of us on this panel have watched people that we love die. And um, when you're around the bereaved too, I've done some work with the bereaved, uh, through various organizations and you really listen. Their regrets are that they didn't love more or they didn't reach out more, they didn't connect more and destroy the things, the barriers between us. That for me is that I'm is what I'm afraid of, that I won't do that in time. And that I'll never finish my, my books. I have like 17 books that I want to publish. It's about time to get them done, you know? Come on, Kennedy, let's do this thing. So uh, yeah, I do have some, some fears, but being a burden is definitely the number one. Kevin, you'd have something you'd like to add? Yeah, I was just having a conversation earlier today with a friend of mine, Davis Finney, who lives here in Boulder and lives next door. We were chatting because I, I broke my rib the other day, which is really painful. And it was doing it probably in a way that I, I was over pushing myself. And someone else came up to us and says, now you should probably stop doing anything that where you can fall. And my comment, which David Davis overheard, was that I don't fear falling, but what I fear is the day that people don't let me fall. And so for me, that means that I've hit the end and people just are trying to put me in a cocoon. And to me, that that that's a fearful stage to be in. Mm -hmm. That is a fearful stage to be in. I highly doubt that you will be let to fall, though. I'm, you're going to be surrounded by 
<laughs> this wonderful, well, that's beautiful my point. community. You fall and people will pick you up, right? Yeah, yeah. And or that's, you fall in as part of the of your course of disease, and you get yourself up. Yeah. So that's the thing that I worry about. Is now that means I'm approaching late stage. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Nobody puts baby Kevin in the corner. I mean, nobody. <laughs> That's never going to happen. <laughs> what good has come from your disease? Amber, what good has come from this for you? Uh, meeting all these people. Uh, I would have never imagined the opportunities it's opened up to meet different people. I will say I'm very shy and introverted. Um, I'm not one for speaking in public. Uh, but since I got on TikTok, that has definitely changed, which has made things easier in life just to talk to people um, that I would have never imagined in a million years. Um, but I mean, I'm sitting here with all you guys and that would have never happened before because I was boring. I mean, I still am, but. You're not boring, Amber. <laughs> what about you, Heather? Uh, or I think we already I asked you that, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to give a quick shout okay. out to, to Mike, who runs another podcast with me, because he he's the one who found Amber. And he's like, you have to see these TikToks. She's so entertaining and so much fun. And it's always different and a different message. And so I would say, you know, we can just keep things fresh together like that. That's pretty cool. Anyway, just wanted to add that. Well, one thing that's good that's come from this disease for me is also recognizing just to take advantage of the opportunities life gives you. You know, don't just sit on the bench and let it pass before you. It's, you know, again, getting over that apathy, but just saying like, heck, I'm not going to sit back. I'm going to take that trip. I'm going to enjoy myself more because I have this Parkinson's card that gives me the permission to do that. So we are going to be coming to an end soon, but I wanted to ask everyone, what is one thing you would like a newly diagnosed person to know? And Brian, we'll start with you. The thing I'd want someone who was newly diagnosed to know is that they're not alone. That's, that's the biggest thing because I knew coming in that there were two big celebrities in Michael J. Fox and Muhammad Ali that had it, but um, I still felt alone because I felt like uh, no one in my family had the disease and was just trying to seek out. Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely that they're not alone. Yeah. What about you, Amber? What is your advice to somebody who's been newly diagnosed? Try to be positive. Um, I know it's a really difficult disease, but a positive attitude actually really makes the world of difference. And it's not a death sentence. You can still live a really fulfilled life. So like you said, get out there and do it. Kevin, what is your advice? Yeah, I'm with Brian on this one. It, it's that there are people who've already walked in our shoes and you can learn from those people and don't be afraid to reach out to them because it's people like us that help other people when we tell our stories. Uh, and so they become the next generation to help someone else. And it's just part of that cycle until we one day find a cure. Heather, what would you tell a newly diagnosed person? Our community is worldwide. It is rich in all kinds of human resources. 
You will learn more from your peers than from anyone else because you are around them more. If you attend the events, and I highly recommend you do, like the World Parkinson's Congress, the Davis Finney events, the Brian Grant events, Monica J. Fox has events, you know, APDA, you know, Parkinson's Foundation. There are tons of opportunities to get out there and meet people. I don't care if I have to marine crawl, I'm getting there. And so that's what I would say, stay connected, stay involved. And remember, service to others is the best we can do. And it will keep, like I said, it's a, it's a mutually beneficial situation. So just stay, stay here, stay here now. Don't, don't, don't disappear. And my advice would be give yourself the grace and the kindness. It's a battle, but we are, you have a support system. You have a community. We will get through it. You may not be the person you were planning to be or thought you'd be, but you're going to be the person you're meant to be. So just be kind to yourself. Now, sadly, we're coming to the end of our hour. This went by really fast, and I had such a wonderful discussion with all of you. I wish we could talk longer. But I want to thank our guests tonight and everyone who joined us. If you've listened to the podcast, we'd appreciate it if you'd take a moment to rate and review us. And as we prepare for our next season, please share your comments and feedback with us at info at briangrant.org. Until next time, thank you so much and have a great night. The Brian Grant Foundation provides tools to improve the well-being of people with Parkinson's. You can help us make a difference in the lives of people with Parkinson's by donating online at briangrant.org. AbbVie is dedicated to helping people with Parkinson's get more on time in the day. AbbVie is the presenting sponsor of this podcast series. Visit briangrant.org slash podcast to learn more. And a special thank you to Raphael Sadiq for providing the music for this podcast. This podcast is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. Learn more at griggsproductions.com.